Racing World is presented by Race Control Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the latest edition of the Racing World podcast. I'm Darcy Watergrave, along with David Turner and Bob McMurray. We're going to bring you the latest and greatest in motorsport from right across the planet. Plan you have a special bent towards what's happening in New Zealand motorsport and some uh, big competitors on the global front who are New Zealand as well. Scott Dixon, Scott McLaughlin, I'm looking at you. Don't forget, you need to like and subscribe, please, so you know what's going on. And to keep this Racing World podcast afloat, you can look through our Spotify. Uh, also, you can go to Anchor FM, and of course, we're on the YouTube channel as well, so you can see our super pretty faces. Right, let's start things off with a chat around Indianapolis. Devastating gear grinding. I'm not quite sure what you'd call it. We'll start off with you, David Turner, because we know you're the massive addict when it comes to IndyCar. Uh, what a superb 500 that was. Look, the ending wasn't what we wanted, but hey, that is Indy. With 17 laps to go, were you really confident? It was a tremendous race. It was fitting that it was the 104th running. It delivered on all accounts. Sure, there was no crowd, but as a race, uh, once you got, you know, into the race, you you only looked at the race and it, and it delivered massively on that. Dixon, 111 laps he lead, which actually puts him as the third all-time lap leader at the Indy 500. So he set yet another record in his ever-growing amount of records that he's got. So true testament to the man. But I, I think, Bob, you'd agree that... Uh, India is a special place that always brings out all sorts of weird things, doesn't it? It does. It does every year. One thing that has annoyed me a little bit is everybody's, not everybody, I think we've got to be clear, Scott Dixon wasn't robbed of the victory. To be robbed of something, you've got to possess it. He didn't possess it at that time. What I think was not in the tradition of Indy was keeping it going um, after what was a fairly major accident, just a few laps from the end, where Piggott was lying on the track, surrounded by marshals. The the whole entrance to the pit lane was compromised, yet they still let the thing run under under uh, a yellow flag for some laps. And I don't think that was Indy. I think it should have been stopped, should have been restarted with four or five, six laps to go, whatever. Not being parochial, I'm not being parochial at all, because I think maybe Sato would have held on. I don't know. We will never know. But... The whole thing about what you're saying is that it is just the most marvellous spectacle, even without a crowd. Do you know, when I was looking at the pictures from above, there were more people in that track, essential workers, than there were at some Grand Prix as a crowd. They didn't need a crowd. They got about 50,000 people in the middle anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was a superb place, superb race. I figured if they red flagged that, how long have they got before they can get the race back started again? Because the... Um, the, the reconstruction, if you will, at the end of that pit lane, that would have taken a huge amount of time to actually sort that out and to make it so they can race safe again. So I'm presuming part of the logic behind them letting it run under yellow and then declaring uh, Takuma the winner it was based a wee bit around that. Would I be close or not? Yeah, you are close, Darcy. One of the big factors that came into it is that the IMS officials said that it would take an hour to repair that part of the pit lane entrance uh, and NBC, so I'm kind of wearing my television hat here because I know what that's like on the other side, um, said that they couldn't sustain an hour's worth of filling, basically, uh, to enable the race to go green again. So I think that television probably paid a little bit of a part in that. And saying that, if you look back at the other events that have been red flagged and then continued like last year, we still had quite a large number of laps to go, whereas this was 
you know, pretty much going to give us a two-lap sprint. Um, so I think that may have come into play as well. Um, interesting, which you'll, you'll hear, you know, shortly when I spoke to Scott, you know, the, the factor was um, whoever was leading probably wouldn't have won the race if it had been restarted. It would have, the winner would have come from second or third. But the bottom line fact is there was over an hour's worth of track repair and it was just simply too long. It was a race that, it was a race, a lead up to a race and a race that was dominated by Scott Dixon. No question about it. But the old story goes, second is not the winner. Um, and as gutted as I feel for him and, and the whole team, frankly, um, you know, uh, it's just, it's a bit of a shame that it should end like that. Doesn't matter what the reasons are. That wasn't an Indy 500 ending from my point of view, but there you go. It wasn't out of the weekend as well, which I, I think we need to acknowledge as New Zealanders um, and other people, not necessarily Scott, Hunter McElroy, absolutely fine performance at IRP. Um, I'd been there only last year where he smacked the wall during qualifying, rubbed the wall during the race and, you know, had his first oval experience. He ended up finishing second on the on the podium um, behind an oval specialist that was brought in just for that one US uh, Pro 2000 event. So uh, fantastic. And a big one that we really, really need to acknowledge is the fact that Blair Julian was given the Clint Boyer Award um, at Indy for uh, mechanical excellence in his role as a crew chief. Very highly regarded award. And I know that along Pit Lane, there's a host of Kiwis. They all got together on uh, on Saturday or on Friday because there was no other carb day things to do. And, and Blair was awarded this award from, from IndyCar. And that's, that's a massive achievement for the crew chief of the number nine car. DT, you caught up with uh, a number of the protagonists uh, during that race. You had your legendary, well, it is now because we said it is, tin can on a string. We've got some of the results of that right here, right now. Give us the skin. Well, Scott, um, congratulations on the second place. I know everyone here in New Zealand, it was five o'clock in the morning when we all kind of had breakfast in bed for a change rather than being at the track with you. My phone's been going absolutely crazy. Uh, Everyone here in New Zealand who's currently in lockdown, we just want to say we're really proud of you. Great job. Um, the big thing that I, I noticed in the race was you were very close when you were dicing with Rossi and seemed to cope with the traffic and the airflow much better than you did later in the race, maybe when you were around Sato. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, I think if you, you know, the speeds are kind of all you have to look at. You know, I think even when, uh, you know, Rossi and I were actually trying to work together um, because I think we were trying to do it on, you know, two stops or three stops, whatever the remainder was uh, at that point. And we were just, you know, trying to run in a lean mixture and, and kind of swap, you know, uh, swap uh, every every other lap or every lap or whatever it was. And then, you know, both of us kind of... The problem is when you lead and you, you start to lean out, then you just you kind of... And then nobody else wants to pass and it just kind of gets the pack in a, in a real big... Uh, angry squashed up pack and we were trying to avoid that so we did try to spread it out a little bit and work together well for 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 a period there um but again you know it really comes down to this you know last lap uh, or not last lap but last um you know scenario with with uh you know pit stops and that kind of exchange and and when you're going i think probably at that point i think we were running 220s at the end when rossi and i were swapping uh for the lead i think we were running like 215s and 216s so we definitely could have changed or chased the car a little bit more, I think, in that scenario. I, I felt like we, you know, I tried to use the tools, but then I just kind of get loose and on entry and then, you know, still middle off. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, the track changes a little bit as well with ambient, but, but uh, once we started to 
to chase or catch that pack ahead of us too. There was about six six cars maybe with about 15, 20 laps to go. Um, you know, the speeds definitely jump up a lot, but you also get a lot more disturbed air, so it becomes a lot harder to, to you know, pass that person in front and also, you know, uh, try and, um, you know, get a run. But, um, yeah, it was definitely, the car could have been a little bit better at the end, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I again, don't think they would have made it on fuel, and, you know, it's unfortunate that that's, the situation I chased. Well, Scott, looking at the end of the race, you know, and obviously we we went to the caution period, but do you think that there was the chance that maybe there would have been a red? No, I thought they were going to immediately, because one, the size of the crash, two, and and where it was, you know, it it definitely wasn't going to be a uh, quick cleanup, you know. So, yeah, I was kind of surprised um, that they didn't. I'd kind of heard that they said, well, we don't normally do that, but, you know, history would tell you that's not true either. So, yeah. yeah, I think, um, you know, for us it would have been really good because I think the leader would have been a sitting duck, but, you know, that's that's kind of harsh on, on Sato. But I think if they got out there and, you know, had a dash with, you know, three laps to go, then, you know, I think all's fair in a situation like that. But um, I can't change that. You know, that's that it is what it is. So, you know, um, I think it would have been interesting to see how that played out. Well, said and done, you know, the strategy still had to play out and fuel mileage became a game. You know, the Hondas had it over the Chevys, but... Um, you still had to calculate that fuel mileage. You know, strategy was on point. Um, you know, we definitely had uh, a, you know, pretty fast car. Um, you know, we knew it was always going to get tricky at this point of the day. Um, you know, and we thought we, you know, kind of made the right call. You know, we, uh, when we ran the first couple of laps after the last stop, we, we couldn't get the fuel mileage that we needed to, to uh, finish the race. So um, started then passed and we went to a leaner mixture and just kind of sat there. And honestly, I don't know how we, we didn't think they were going to make it on fuel. So um, it seemed like there was a hesitation, um, maybe with a, about 15 to go or 12 to go, where I got beside him on the straight. It's like he, they started to go to a lean mixture, and then um, and then they decided that it was just too slow. So they, they kind of went, you know, back back at it. And uh, I probably should have been a little more aggressive, maybe on that high side there. But you know, I think he would have just run me up anyway, which. Um, maybe would have put both of us in the fence or at least me. So, um, yeah, just tricky. I don't, I, you know, we should have maybe gone harder or, you know, maybe we would have run out of fuel and been in the same position. So I don't, I don't really know, you know, what was the right call. It just shows you, you know, that uh, when I was asked if I wanted to be leading with five laps to go yesterday, I said absolutely because of a scenario like this and uh, that's how it played out. So, um, yeah, definitely hard to swallow for, for the team. Um, you know, massive thank you to, to the nine car crew. They're doing a tremendous job on pit road today and, and strategy and everybody, you know, everything we could. And, you know, uh, got to say congrats to Salto too. He, uh, he drove a hell of a race and, and uh, they were victorious and he's drinking milk and that's what counts. Well, congratulations, as I said, from everyone here. Your sisters have texted me already, so you'll be pleased to know about that. And uh, you're all over the front page of the Herald again. So from everyone in New Zealand, well done and now chase this championship. Thanks, David. Well, Pato, congratulations on Rookie of the Year at the Indy 500 and much more confident on the ovals now. And we've got another oval coming with Gateway just this weekend. Yeah, I think um, I just getting more and more comfortable with speedways. Uh, I think a lot of what I learned in in Iowa is going to help at Gateway because it's a short oval, bigger wings. Um, But for sure, as as in a speedway trim and just feeling out what the car does with, with such high speeds and when you're really on the edge of the speed of the grip, um, it was it was a great learning curve, you know. I'm, I'm way more prepared for for next year, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think it was a solid day. We finished really good points for the championship. 
Um, yeah. You know, unfortunately, Scott was in front of us, and we, we kind of have to start making more points in the guy to actually catch him. Well, David Lederman, congratulations. Great job. It's like a dream come true, really, isn't it? Well, uh, I have quite a lot to say. First of all, I'm happy that Spencer is uh, doing well, as we understand. It was uh, quite a mess, as, as Bobby explained. So uh, first and foremost, uh, our best thoughts for him. Uh, and let me just say, if somebody said to me this morning, at the end of the Indianapolis 500, Takuma Sada and uh, Scott Dixon and Graham Rahal would be racing for the lead, I would say, well, that's that's a dream. That's a dream come true. And uh, it, I woke up and it turned out that we won the Indianapolis 500. Uh, but th these three guys, what do you want from these three guys? They're tremendous. And then the other thing is you, you, nobody in the stands, uh, we all know the reason for that. We're all sorry about that. We wish it could be otherwise. And I hope in some small way, the joy that we're experiencing here uh, can be shared by people who were able to watch this race uh, in the United States and around the world. The small contribution, but maybe it's meaningful. But for us, you know, it's like we've been struck by lightning. Bobby, firstly, congratulations. Just one thing that went through my mind, did you have a flashback at all to maybe the Sato Franchitti of 2012 and what happened back then and maybe a little flashback in your mind? Yeah, that race in 12, um, he made, um, he, uh, he was doing something with a car that should not have been able to be done. I mean, that car was not anywhere near as good as the car we had today. And yet there he was. Um, in fact, I remember he and Dixon and uh, Frank Keedy came out of four and, and Takuma put a pass on Dixon that was just unbelievable. And then, he, of course, he tried to do it again on Frank Keedy on the last lap. And I think Dario made the track a little narrower than it was, than it was intended to be. But nevertheless, uh, and we lost control and, and crashed. But that's Takuma. You know, if he sees it, he smells it, he's going to go for it. Bobby, winning Indy more than maybe any other event in the world really signifies the fact that you know, India is this very special place, isn't it? <laughs> the best way I describe it to people is I'm never introduced as a three-time IndyCar champion. I'm always introduced as a 1986 Indy 500 champion. And oh yeah, and by the way, he won three IndyCar championships. That 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 is the power. Indy is Indy's Indy, and there's uh, there's a lot of great races around, but there's nothing like Indianapolis. And uh, so when you win it, it um, it just does tremendous things for you personally and for you per professionally and for our team. I think it does um, great things because it shows, you know, we, we belong in the conversation of who are the best teams out there. And Taku, congratulations on a great win, great drive at Indy. You might have beaten the Kiwi, but it was an awesome effort. So much. Um, simply an amazing day. Um, I, I just can't put in one word for it. But big thank you to everyone. Obviously, uh, the Speedway, um, Roger Penske and of course the Oman George family made this race and uh, get this race going this year. I know it's a lot of people's commitment, um, but we really appreciate it. And I'm um, so happy to be part of this uh, organization. And uh, first, first of all, I mean, it, what, what an amazing team Ray Holetama Landing and Racing is. I know it's, uh, it's every single team and every single drivers of the dream to win a 500 by achieving a 1-3 in this fashion. It is just simply amazing. And um, I can't thank you enough to the Bobby, Mike Lanningham, and of course, David Letterman, and the entire team, especially for the Saudi boys, 
uh, my Panasonic, people already Honda was extremely strong and competitive. So uh, it was a little bit um, tough on the last uh, few laps before, before getting a yellow because um, we uh, we read the race a little too long and then uh, we had to dive into the pit uh, one lap before the uh, Scott and less of the people perhaps. That put us a lot of uh, difficulty in terms of the fuel mileage. I wanted to go to the full power, which a Honda and HP to give us an incredible performance, but still I had to save the fuel. So I was backing forwards, backing forwards. It was a really mixture and best power when Dixie was coming and pull off like that way. It is just a simply amazing. I, I, I want to say thank you so much for everyone for support. Taku, just finally, you know, when you got up there with Scott, really, that was when the whole race changed in some ways. It was the two of you that started to dominate that race. And we all observed um, Scott. Uh, Scott was probably the best uh, competitor entire, really, two weeks, to be honest. Um, from practice to the qualifying, he showed speed. And uh, even the curve day, it was a very tricky condition that we, three of us, actually struggled a lot. But... Uh, Ganassi and, and uh, Dixie did a phenomenal job to put always that car in a competitive uh, situation. And, and look at the today, he read the start and then he just disappeared. Um, I was able to hanging on, but that time, you know, I was playing with the mixtures and also, you know, how much we can actually get a few mileage out of it. Now, so, so even the Ryan actually caught us when, you know, in the speed. I basically, I wanted to see how the traffic with a single car traffic, a double traffic, I know we practice, but in the race situation and it's the exact same age of the tire with a mixture setting, I just wanted to learn it on that point. So first 100 up, you want it to be top three, top five. That was always the uh, my thought coming to this race. If I have opportunity, yes, you want to lead it, but then I, you use too much fuel. So that was my my, my strategy. And then... After 100, <clears throat> I had opportunity to come around again with with uh, with a Scott, and um, I just I just went to the to leading the race and to see how it goes. And so that moment, I realized yes, we have a, we have a very competitive package. Of course, every single pit stop, pit stop we come in, we make some changes, and uh, it's just a back and forth, back and forth because we go too much greedy, and then we went to be conservative, too much greedy again, and finally. For the last three stints, actually, <clears throat> I was able to happy with the car, particularly second half of the every stint, I was very strong. So I knew towards the end of the stint, I knew I have a very a good speed of it. Um, however, after the restart, uh, when I got the lead, um, yeah, <laughs> I got a voice from the pit and uh, using basically too much fuel. So uh, I had to back off with um, Lena Mixture which you can see immediately, Scott um, called me and I give it a go. At that point, I had to switch back to the uh, maximum power. And as soon as he was uh, uh, three cars, four cars behind, I go back to the uh, Lena mixture. And we were close. Um, no doubt about um, that last yellow definitely, you know, saved us. But even without it, I was, I was hitting a number of them. You know, if you, if you scan my radio, um, we were on the number. So even we gone through the entire green, I think we'd be okay. However, still, I think I will be threatened from uh, from Dixie from the last few laps where he will be probably 100% to, 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 to power, which I had some of that in a pocket, but um, otherwise it was very, very close. 
and extremely happy Takuma Sato there uh, picking up his Borg Warner trophy. A happy, happy man. And I've got to say, guys, if I was to be completely honest about that, the way Scott was tracking before the big wreck, I think that he was too speedy, too pacey, and he had it dialed. I think that was his race. You may disagree. I don't know, Bob. I can't disagree, but I can't agree either. I didn't see the end of the race. All I saw <laughs> was, uh, all I saw was uh, a yellow flag come out. But nonetheless... For every cloud, there's a silver lining. The silver lining is Scott did come second. It was a double points weekend. He now leads that championship with 335 points, which is 84 more than Joseph Newgarden. And uh, in third, Patricio Award, Graham Rahal has come up as well. So at the moment, we've got five races left. There may be four because I think as DT agrees, or he suggested it to me, the last round, St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg may well not happen with the COVID issue going on in Florida, and it's a street race. They've got to build it ahead. So there could only be four races, and that's two double headers. Um, we've got Gateway next weekend, then two at the um, Indy Road Course. So the championship is looking brighter for Scott, or bright for Scott. Um, unfortunately, the uh, Indy 500 2020, the 104th running of it, has to go in his memory banks as what might have been. I think just two yeah. other notes before we wrap up, Indy. One thing that I found interesting over the weekend was the fact that uh, FIA President Jean Todd was there as a guest of Roger Penske, uh, and the F1 returns to Indy rumour has started already, so it'll be very interesting to see where that one goes. And then the second one I've got to share with you guys, um, two years ago when I was at the Speedway, I had a Japanese journalist come up to me and uh, he gave me a gift and he said, Remember this because this guy will go more places and be assured of the fact that I'm telling you that. And he gave me the uh, a ticket that year, which had the race winner on it, Takuma Sato from 2017. And now he'll be on the big ticket again next year. So how about that, eh? That's still to come in the program. We'll cover off a lot of New Zealand-based sport, including the acting CEO of Motorsport NZ, Elton Goonan. Uh, he'll be joining the program. We'll let you know what's going on globally and nationally as well when it comes to motorsport. But right here, right now, dare I mention the supercars. You see, you give everybody the same tyres, you give everyone the same softs, and look, <laughs> the cream rises to the top. Surprise, surprise, Scott McLaughlin, again, absolutely dominating uh, the way that car progressed, uh, that Penske car throughout the weekend, was nothing short of extraordinary. And, and for those who didn't like the idea of not having jumbled up racing, we still had some fantastic racing down the pack. We didn't lose anything when it came to the excitement of the racing. Um, that menace, Mostert, causing all sorts of trouble. Perkett having the time of his life. Fabian Coulthard playing the Joker. Uh, but I think the big thing for me, guys, and if you agree on this one, is the ability of Scott McLaughlin to get that rig off the start line. That was extraordinarily impressive. Can't agree more, Darcy. Honestly, I think the the tyre issue, that is how I'd like to see it. Just like that. Everybody's got the same tyres. You Use what you like. When you like, you've got the same tyres even if they limit the number of sets so that it screws it up a little bit more. Um, I certainly like it better than the, the system before. And what can you say about Scott McLaughlin? I mean, what a superb <laughs> what a superb weekend for him. You know, he hardly put a foot wrong. In fact, I'm scratching to think where he did put a foot wrong. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say. I'll tell you what, though, I think they're probably glad to get out of there. I think they know that little track 
probably better than the other track in Australia now, but we'll see. But they've still got a lot more to come, haven't they? Hopefully, for Scott's point of view, he's not trying to challenge or defend his title at Bathurst, but with the amount of points on the line, if that is the season finale, it could make the race around the mountain extraordinary, especially when you consider what Wincup's up to and how fast uh, Shane Van Gisbergen has uh, recalibrate, recalibrated his season. If it's down to that, and there's a DNF or anything could happen. It could be a wonderful, wonderful end to the series. Well, I, I think it is shaping up to a grand final at Bathurst. All the indicators at the moment are starting to say that. So it, it will be very interesting. And there were some pictures posted over the weekend um, of it snowing at Bathurst with a complete snow layer right across the skyline <laughs> and through the dipper. That's it. That's it. Forget the bloody tyres. We have snow. That's even better than Bernie's. <laughs> Wet track, isn't it? I think it's fantastic. You know, the, the Australians have got all sorts of issues at the moment, but now they're worried about snow at their beloved Bathurst. But, you know, the, the bottom line fact is that, yeah, it was snowing and maybe they'll be there in a few weeks' time. But Bathurst is one of those places, a bit like Indy, where it changes, you know, in the blink of an eye as well. So, you know, it, it's got them all going. But I think the hard part there will be the teams relocating themselves prior to Bathurst and there's a lot of discussion going around about that and I'm sure by next week we'll be able to talk more on that as well. So what's the likelihood uh, to keep the, the series length to a, a, an acceptable length that IndyCar, if doesn't go ahead in Florida, might put that last race at an oval or a track that's already been built? Is there a possibility, DT, I'm presuming we're going to have to know sooner rather than later what the situation is around Florida so teams can organise uh, what they're doing um, toward the end of the season, especially if there's going to be a ch close championship trace on. They want to know that um, and not get to the penultimate race of the season and suddenly find out that becomes the last race. So there's a few technical issues for uh, them to iron out of Indy. Yeah, well, they've, they've been saying all along that Roger and the, and the team at Penske Entertainment have done a great job in terms of how they're administering IndyCar. And so what we do know is you've got two races this weekend at Gateway on the short oval, and then you'll have the two races back on the IMS road course, and then potentially St. Pete. That's what the calendar's saying. Don't forget, somewhere along the line, Mid-Ohio might still come back into the mix and be a doubleheader as well, which would then give us six or seven races. So I think they've got a, a couple of strategic plans there. The teams know that they've got short oval spec cars this week, week or so off, and then they're back at IMS on the road course and by then, you know, the thing could have changed a lot. But they all have been saying what a great job IndyCar is doing and communicating to the teams about where they're going and what they're doing. So, you know, big tick there, I guess, and, and we'll wait and see how it unfolds. But as a driver right now, you just got to score points, don't you? That's all it's about. I know we watch it for the racing, uh, not for the wrecks, but I tell you what, uh, Miss Nine watched the race with me, and she was most enamoured when she saw fire. So maybe that's the way to lead the next generation into racing. But, Dad, the car's on fire. Yes, wasn't, it that, wasn't that a very bizarre fire in the very first place for, yes. for Davidson? I mean, the right, the front right wheel were well, catching fire. I don't know what it could have been. Maybe the hub court, maybe the whatever the brake exploded. Anyway, everything bloody exploded. Very bizarre, that. Here on the Racing World podcast with Darcy, David and Bob. More to come up next here on Racing World. Perspective Group is a leading media production company based in Auckland, New Zealand. Established in 2009 by former TVNZ producer David Turner, Perspective Group offers you a vast arrangement of media options to fit any size or budget. It covers truly global services supported by some of New Zealand's leading media talents. 
For more information, contact Perspective Group Limited at perspectivegroupltd at gmail.com. And check out the website, perspectivegroupltd.com, where you'll find even more information on creating your media solutions. You have a dream. You have all the drive in the world. You have talent to burn. Now all you need is a chance. Toyota are committed to developing and nurturing New Zealand's next generation of world-class racing drivers. Because if you can dream it, we can do it. Welcome back to the Racing World Podcast. We're joined now by Elton Goon, an acting CEO of Motorsport NZ, with another update on what's happening at Aotearoa around one of our favourite pastimes. G'day, Elton. I trust you're well, even though with the uh, current climate, things have stretched around COVID. And I suppose that's our first question for you. How does the new extension uh, around the COVID levels affect what's going on in Motorsport NZ? Yeah, hi Darcy. Good to good to catch up again. Yeah, it's it's definitely made things a little bit tricky. That's for sure. Um, you know, obviously Auckland dropping into three, being the major major city. Um, there's a number of events that were due to happen at Hampton over the last couple of weekends, and even this coming weekend that the guys have actually had ninety percent of the grids coming out of Auckland. So we've we've had to work with those guys and put those events on hold. Hampton have been really awesome in terms of transferring those bookings later into the year. So that that's been great. Um, but yeah, in terms of the in terms of the the whole COVID thing, it is is a bit of a, a bit of a stretch. Where we're currently working with Sport NZ and Ministry of Health, and also WorkSafe, trying to come up with a bit of a um, a rejig of the level two plan that we put out in our back in motion document. So the plan is that we want to try and get a bit of an extension on on how that sits, and we're, we're working quite hard to really show those government departments, how we can segregate these different groups of 100 um, around a venue. And Hampton and Pookie are really a good examples. You've got spaces to split people up and give give that social distancing um, and still make the events happen. So that's, for us, that's key. Obviously, we're two weeks two weeks time, we've got the, the final, well, what should be the final of the summer series at Hampton, Speedworks Back in Motion um, event. Week a couple of weeks after that, you've got the endurance series down in Teratonga, then up in Auckland again. So we've got a couple, got three or four big events coming up that we really want to make sure we can try and get these on, on the on the track and happening. Uh, plus, we've got a few rallies and stuff coming up around in, in the forest. So we want, yeah, we really want these events to happen. So we're pushing quite hard with the government to try and come up with a compromise on how we can do that. Where are your confidence levels behind that, Elton? Do you think you can get this done? You've got enough confidence in, in your team around this and also with the, the government liaison? In terms of delivering it, the, the, the clubs and the team I've got with me, um, absolutely no qualms about, about what, what it is and how we can deliver it. Um, our biggest challenge is, is, I suppose, we're going into a, into a government department who may not know anything about motorsport at all. So we're, we're kind of trying, trying to sort of teach the uninitiated about it. So it's really up to me and me and the guys to sell it. Um, I, I, I'm quite comfortable just reading the rules and the, the latest government regulations and stuff. And I don't have any problem with what we're proposing. Um, I think we're, what we're proposing is actually doable under the rules, but I just want to make sure that we are there and we are fitting, fitting in the right boxes for the government. So we don't have an event running and someone turns up and says, you know, you can't do this anymore. Stop. I want to make sure we've, we've ticked every single box. Motorsport 
community is behind you trying to get things going. Um, just going on to a different subject, I, I believe last week was the AGM, um, Motorsport New Zealand AGM, is that true? Yeah, correct. Yeah, we had that on Saturday. Um, obviously, we had uh, we did it under level two, which made things a little bit interesting. So, for the first time ever, we had it as an e conference, um, and we took that that option because although we could run a hundred people, around about a quarter of the delegates were actually coming out of the Auckland region, so we were going to be massively affected in terms of the quorum. So, making use of the the COVID Response Act um, and and the ability for societies and companies to use the um, use digital technology to, to do the meetings and the, the voting and stuff. We um, we took that with both hands and it was actually very successful. Um, everybody interacted. It was it was good. We got all the voting. There were some good discussions around many items. Can you tell us, has uh, anything come out of that that's, uh, that's firm or any changes of direction? Or um, no, there's, there's no, no real change of direction at the moment. Because of COVID, the, the, the current strategic plan was, was due to expire at the end of this year. Um, there was a couple of things that we'd, we'd earmarked as that we wanted to have a discussion on. Um, one of them was the structure of the sport and, and how we actually interact with all the different stakeholders um, because I think we're, we're possibly behind the eight ball on that. Um, that was mostly something that – well, that was something that as a sport we kind of looked at – I looked at with the board and we decided it's not really a discussion you could have over Zoom. It's quite an interactive discussion. It's, it's where you, you almost need to break into working groups and get, get some, some sessions like that going and then come back together. So we've actually held that over till next year um, just because we think it's such an important part and, and also, therefore, the strategic plan's been extended through to the middle of next year. One of the things that also has happened in the last week or so is uh, the step-down of the long-time um, race director Shane Harrison, his role moving on, former president of the sport as well. So kind of sad to see him go, but, but Craig, that's stepping up to the plate more than worthy of the job, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, Craig's, Craig's actually very, very lucky. He's had a, an experienced team that he's been mentored off. Um, you know, early in the days, he had Graham Robinson was his, was one of his key mentors. Um, Shane then's come and taken over. Um, Craig's worked his way up through the ranks, which is awesome. Um, you know, started at, you know, at Manfield as a recovery guy. He's worked up. So he knows the systems. He knows every single job on the pathway through there. Um, Shane done an awesome job. Um, I've, I've really only known Shane over the last couple of years that I've been here. Um, I really and luckily, as a, as a competitor, you don't want to deal with the clerk of the course. So I didn't really know him until I joined the sport. But, um, yeah, his involvement and, and contribution to what he's into the sport itself has been awesome, both nationally and internationally. And he's, he's represented the sport well during his presidency over at the FIA. I saw the news around that Greg Brink, a guy I actually used to race against, not that he'd remember, in the offshore powerboat series of all things around about, oh, it must have been 17, 18 years ago now, uh, with the, the concept of the radicals coming out here, which are an interesting car, to say the least. Overpowered, great aero, pretty quick, reasonably cost-efficient, I'd suggest. What does Motorsport New Zealand make of the uh, advent of the Radicals? Um, for me, Radicals are awesome. I mean, I'd, yeah, I, I spent 15 years in the UK in Europe racing, and, God, the amount of laps I've done either driving or sitting in the passenger seat of a Radical, I would hate to try and count. Um, they are. They're awesome cars. Um, I was fortunate enough. Um, a friend of mine brought one just after I got back to New Zealand. So we've done a couple of races, a couple of endurances before we got banned because we were too quick. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Uh, but no, the, the radicals themselves, it's, it's, it's awesome to see them actually have a foothold here. Um, they've had a base in Australia. 
Um, but the, that usual thing with Australia is that, you know, any time you try and get some parts or your bits out of Australia, they put the Kiwi tax on top, which um, seems to add a, generally add another zero onto the end of it. Um, so the fact that Greg's been able to to um, to do a deal with Phil Hyde and, and, and those guys at Radical to, to bring the cars here direct is great. Um, Greg knows what he's doing in terms of promoting a brand of, of um, with his time at Aston Martin and the Guild Trap Group. Um, I know he's had some discussions with the New Zealand Sports Car Series. So without wanting to talk out at a turn off, as I understand it, they're going to sort of run as a, as a class within the Sports Car Series. Um, so they're not going to have their own bespoke class at the moment um, until they get a sort of a, a, a sort of a certain mass to, to be able to go out there. So the Sports Car guys are really, really encouraged to, to um, invite them in. Um, and from there, I think it's it's a good series. Sports cars is, a, like you said, a cost-effective, good way of racing um, with a, a good level of performance. I mean, a good Radical can be driven um, not much lower than a, a, an old FT50 from um, a TRS car, so they can be pretty quick. And um, it's also a good way for those young kids, you know, if, they, if they're running in the likes of Formula First or Formula Ford and they want to do that j- jump up to TRS, um, the radical and those sports cars actually have a good level of downforce that actually gives those kids some training. Um, so they can then transfer those skills as they go through into the, the higher levels of single seaters in New Zealand and then hopefully further into the into the international scene. But um, no, from my point, it's great to see them here and have, it's going to be fun to see them out there. And on that little cheeky smile, Elton Goonan, acting CEO of Motorsport NZ, we thank you very much for your time and the update on what's happening under the land of Long White Cloud. You stay safe. You too, guys. Have a, have a good time. This is the Racing World Podcast with Darcy, David and Bob. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you'd like this to carry on coming into your inbox. Obviously, the podcast on Anchor FM. You can also find it on Radio Public and Spotify. And if you like the pretty look of our faces, you can carry on watching this on YouTube, David. To sum up the show this week, it's not that long till May 2021. Roll on the 105th running of the Indy 500. Bob McMurray, of course, no Formula 1, 2 or 3 for you this weekend, but the big daddies get back and racing next week. What are we looking forward to, Frank? Well, we're looking forward to another couple of weekends. Obviously, we've got three weekends in a row. We've got um, Spa, then Monza, and then Tuscany, which is Mugello. So we're looking forward to that. A bit of news about the last weekend. Um, a couple of big things happened. One was the agreement, the Concord Agreement by, by all the teams, a $205 million New Zealand dollar budget, that doesn't include driver's salaries, doesn't include the flash bits like private planes, doesn't include the boss's salaries, doesn't include hospitality. So I don't know why they bother with the budget, frankly, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this has got to come in the, in the um, you're, they're having a laugh, aren't they? They're having a laugh, aren't they? Ferrari hopes to gain clarity and transparency from the FIA over the rules and Formula One car copying and formalising its appeal, the racing point break dust thing, duct thing. They're having a laugh, aren't they? After the FIA secret engine deal with Ferrari that they wouldn't tell anybody about, and now they want clarity and transparency? Give us a break, for God's sakes. Anyway, um, the big news, I think, the saddest news, is the family firm has been sold. Williams, the last family-owned Formula One team, has been sold to a New York investment bank. Now... Uh, investment banking is a style of business that uh, cares not a lot for family 
um, but an awful lot for profit. And it doesn't necessarily care for racing, but an awful lot for profit. Is this the end of Williams Formula One? I don't know. Certainly not the name, but nonetheless. And for all of the news coming up and all the sport coming up, you can see it right now in front of you. Lots of motorsport locally and internationally too. And we'll be back next week to cover off all of those results here at Racing World. Bob, any last requests? Um, yeah, bring more on, please. I've, I'm getting some sleep over a weekend. I don't need it. More, more motorsport, please. And on behalf of uh, David Turner, Bob McMurray, I'm Darcy Watergrave, uh, wishing you happy racing, happy watching for the next week. And we'll catch you again in its entirety on Racing World, same channels next week. Race Control Magazine is your IndyCar fan mag and so much more. Publishing monthly online on issuu.com, you'll find Race Control Magazine there for you to download and enjoy everything IndyCar and so much more. Behind-the-scenes features, race reports, and the entire Road to Indy series are just part of what you'll find along with stunning images captured from the series' leading photographers. Grab your copy today at iwsw.com to complete your motorsport read. You have a dream. You have all the drive in the world. You have talent to burn. Now all you need is a chance. Toyota are committed to developing and nurturing New Zealand's next generation of world-class racing drivers. Because if you can dream it, we can do it. Racing World is presented by Race Control Magazine. 